ിയമ This adds a new dimension to the pandemic and increases the disease burden on the nation. Not only are you fighting the pandemic, you also need to expend resources to manage post-covid complications. From the Economic Times, I'm Shrutijit and this is the Morning Brief. Today on the show, we invited three eminent physicians who are on the front lines of the battle against covid to talk about this emerging concern. But first, Let's listen to Dr. Randeep Guleria, director of the All India Institute of Medical Sciences in Delhi. The initial part of the pandemic we were most concerned about the acute management of covid saving lives when we are now coming to a stage when patients are recovering and our recovery rate is good and they're going home then we are realizing that there is a lot of what we call post covid sequelae that the illness leads to some changes or some residual problems which can last sometimes for weeks and weeks or months but sometimes maybe even damage which may be lifelong that was from an interview he did with my colleague prerna katiar who covered this issue in a story for et magazine this week joining me now is prerna katiar my delhi based colleague who covered this trend that has now become a very significant cause of concern in recent weeks prerna could you take us through what kind of post covid complications are we seeing and what have doctors and patients told you in the course of uh, your reporting of the story so what we found out from experts as well as a conversation with the patients who have recovered from covid is that many of them in fact as high as 50 to 60% of them are uh, complaining about extreme fatigue low grade fever inability to concentrate then some of them are having mood swings sleeping difficulty headaches while a small percentage is also complaining about chest pain palpitation neurological complication as well as poor cardiac functions even as uh, the last set of complications are a little rare they are they are very much there mm-hmm. and all this is based on conversations from patients who have recovered from at least i mean we must have spoken to patients from at least 6 or 7 states and across age group starting from early 30s to early 60s or we can definitely say and could you recount what some of the uh, patients told you especially about the psychological trauma and aftermath that uh, they have been facing yes so most of these one common thing that each one of them pointed out and especially the ones who were hospitalized was that they are having i mean r- rather than people focusing on physiological problems the focus should also be on psychological issues for example one of the patient who's based in lucknow is a government employee he told us that you know the very sight i mean just imagine a person who's lying there in an icu and all he sees day and night and maybe six times a day is someone walking up to him in ppe kits he doesn't know if he's a nurse or a doctor but he never sees a real person who will asking about his well being so that whole memory is very haunting 
So what he okay. says is that a lot of focus should also be about psychological counseling of patients, especially those who have been hospitalized. And I think this part has been, we can safely say that this has been neglected. Right. That was Prerna Katyar, my Delhi-based colleague, who this week reported uh, extensively about the rise of concerns around post-COVID complications. Joining us to talk about this further now is Dr. Bornali Datta, who is the Director of Respiratory Medicine at Medanta Hospital. Dr. Datta, thank you so much for joining us. Could you tell us what have you been seeing in terms of post-COVID complications in the last couple of months? What are the most common issues that patients have been coming back with? So see, I am a pulmonologist and the biggest problem that we are now facing is the post-COVID diffuse pulmonary disease, what's called diffuse pulmonary lung disease. So uh, what happens in this is that because COVID, as you know, when it is moderate or severe or critical, it involves both lungs quite extensively. And it is not a pneumonia that heals very quickly, like normal bacterial pneumonia, we find it heals in a week's time, two weeks time. But this takes several weeks to heal up and all the patients who come back, then they have uh, a degree of uh, interstitial lung disease and this may go on to pulmonary fibrosis. So that is the very first impact that we are seeing. Pulmonary fibrosis is not a terribly common disease. We see a fair bit of it. It's mostly idiopathic, i.e. no cause. But following COVID, we are seeing a large number of patients with you know, the sequelae of uh, COVID pneumonia, which is interstitial lung disease and pulmonary fibrosis. So that is probably the first problem that I'm facing seeing as a pulmonologist. The other things that we see, the non-pulmonary related things, again, there are numerous aspects. One we see is what's called, you know, the post-COVID asthenia. So like the patient feels tremendous fatigue. So even after recovery, even after, you know, a couple of months, they feel a huge amount of fatigue and they're not able to get on with their day. I mean, they're working, but they're exhausted. So, th so that's the second thing I'm seeing. Third thing I'm seeing a lot of is uh, mood changes. You know, people are feeling quite low after this. They've recovered. They've gone back to work. And whether that is a single thing, whether it is just the fallout of having suffered from COVID and, uh, or it is a stress of the times we are living in, and, or is it a combination of, the, you know, of, of all the things around us at the moment? So I would say these are the commonest things we are seeing. We're seeing a bit of cardiac complications and a bit of you know, muscle weakness and general but that's, again, part of that post-COVID asthenia syndrome. We are now joined by Dr. Atul Gogia, who's a senior consultant at the Department of Internal Medicine and Infectious Disease at Sir Gangaram Hospital in Delhi. Dr. Gogia, could you tell us what are the long-term implications of this particular phenomena, you know, this rise of post-COVID complications? Well, I see that uh, you would say at least close to 10% people are having complications they were quite a bit of people are having this as i told you but they are generally being managed but you can say five to ten percent people are the ones who have to actually come back and get a readmission done there'll be some you know five percent or so would actually develop severe breathlessness or other high grade fever or things like that and they would you know have to come back again to us for hospitalization but there will be a higher number who would be having problems and would need longer care and connectivity to the care. Right, right. Dr. Datta, could you talk a little bit more about the other concerns relating to these complications? The other thing that I didn't mention earlier on is infection. Now, as you know, India is a country that is endemic to tuberculosis. 
and we as pulmonologists again see a huge amount of tuberculosis. We house 27% of the world's total burden of TB disease. And in uh, COVID, A, the viral infection itself weakens your immune system. But secondly, also some of the medications we give like steroids also add on to that. Now the steroids are necessary to salvage the lungs, but at the same time, they're working against your immune system, they're suppressing it. And we fear that we will see a conversion of latent TB infection that around 40% of Indian population have, which typically wouldn't bother them. But if their immunity is suppressed, it may then manifest into active tuberculosis. So we are fearing to see again a resurgence of TB because of being neglected due to the impact of COVID, the pandemic, and all services and all healthcare being diverted towards COVID people not presenting, not coming to healthcare. So TB again is a, is a big thing. And as you know, we had 2025 as the goal for elimination from India, which was a tall task, but everybody was really dealing with it, was really giving it a good go. But this has set us back by, I think, a couple of decades. So I think we'll struggle with TB as well as an infection from uh, this regard. Dr. Gogia, there is one other thing that I wanted to find out from you. What is the kind of patient profile you're seeing amongst those who are returning with complications? Is there a homogeneous profile or is it random? Or, you know, is there a kind of patient who is more predisposed to facing such issues? Well, there is no set rule that this person will come back. But yes, definitely I've seen patients generally who are in the elderly age, you know, 60 plus, you know, or who've had problems, who have a lot of generalized weakness, wasting, and they generally tend to come back. But yes, uh, you know, it can happen to anybody that delays uh, complications. We've had younger patients also, but generally it is the elderly with the comorbidities uh, who tend to, you know, come back. So some of them do come back. Right. And what do you think are the long-term implications of this in terms of the country's COVID management strategy? Well, these are early days for everybody because uh, as more and more we are understanding the disease, as we are going down months pass by, we are able to probably understand the disease better. And yes, definitely the only thing it means is that the patients, especially the high risk group, the elderly, the multi uh, patients who already had uh, multiple uh, you know, comorbid illnesses, they need to be in touch with their care provider for a little longer and they need more of physical as well as mental rehab more probably than the younger lot. So that's what we've learned over the last six, eight months. We have an additional and interesting perspective from Dr. Sumit Ray, who heads up critical care medicine at Delhi's Holy Family Hospital. He says that fatigue and psychological stress is not unusual for patients who have been in intensive care. These are not unusual things for post-intensive care. We as intensivists know them as post-intensive care syndrome from even before COVID. So fibrosis, yes, lung fibrosis develops in subsets of patients who do get acute respiratory distress syndrome or ARDS as we call it. But here the incidence probably in COVID is a little higher than the usual. Fatigue and the weakness, the fatigue, the muscle mass loss, etc. is not very uncommon in patients who have had severe critical illness. So 
what we are seeing now is probably larger number of people because the volumes of patients coming to the ICU with COVID is much larger than anything else we have seen, this kind of critical illness. And it's obviously much more in, in the public domain and discussions, etc. COVID because the way it is. And that's why we know more about it. But as intensivists, we have dealt with this before. Also. That's very interesting. So are you then saying that patients who are developing post-COVID complications are the ones who already went through intensive care? The majority of them and the more severe post-COVID symptoms. Those who had mild to moderate disease may have some of the post-COVID syndromes, which are more like, I would say, psychological effects and physical effects, but they are not as severe as those who went through more severe illness. Right. And, right. and also, a part of it is also the psychological effects of it, which almost the behavior patterns are almost like post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, the stress. One is of any intensive care patient who goes into the ICU, suffers from this. But also in COVID, probably the associated fear that has, you know, because of the way the pandemic has spread, etc., and the fear that is prevalent because of the pandemic, that has added to it, I think. Mm. Dr. Gogia, could you tell us a little bit more about the psychological issues that COVID patients are facing? Well, there are two kind of predominant problems which these patients are facing, you know. So one of these people are being in the hospital for a longer duration if they are there, so 10 days, two weeks, three weeks, depending on their condition. So they're all alone. They are not meeting their families and they're alone in the ward. So they tend to feel isolated, distant, low, and they feel that they want to go out. So that is also urging quite a them to, you know, go and take a discharge earlier because they're feeling very irritated. When thereafter also, after going home, there is that fear as we're talking about these post-COVID effects and all. So there is this psychology playing most of these people that, you know, I'm still unwell and they have some symptoms all of the time. It may not be physical, you know, they may have a chest pain or things like that, which are playing in the mind that they are suffering. So there is a fear of the unknown that what will happen, maybe will they be fine even after recovery or not. So and similar effect is happening on the family also. So there is this fear of the unknown, as I say, because they are not even uh, directly able to meet the doctors. They are all teleconsultations and, you know, telecounselings happening these days because of this fear of spreading the infection. So that also plays on the psychology of the family as well. Well, I suppose, you know, with the most experienced doctors, you know, that comforting touch that happens in person in case of COVID, that's that's no longer possible, right? And therefore, that's an issue as well. Yes. Right. Dr. Ray, could you also tell us, uh, you know, as an intensivist, you really are at the cutting edge of, you know, battling this pandemic. I mean, the, the worst affected patients, the ones who are struggling the most mm-hmm. come to you for care, right? Uh-huh. Could you tell us a little bit about what is it like to be an intensivist during a pandemic when you're ceaselessly dealing with day after day after day, you're dealing with a lot of struggling patients. Presumably, you are also unfortunately losing some patients. What kind of psychological impact does this have on you? And uh, how do intensivists uh, deal with uh, this kind of situation? Well, as an intensivist, we are always dealing with critical illness, even before the pandemic. We did lose patients even before the pandemic. And it's part of our critical care training that we are trained to take care of the worst cases and we have always lost patients. The difference, I would say, is uh, in two ways. One is the volumes of patients of one kind repeatedly coming 
day in and day out. The same kind with severe ARDS, which is basically the worst outcomes of COVID. You have the severe lung damage, right? That's the predominant kind of way. So at any certain point, as an intensivist, you usually see a mix of different patients. You don't see only one kind of patients, okay, which we see during the COVID pandemic. And the patients who are the worst off are predominantly, as I said, ARDS patients. Here, ARDS, what we have found, has poor outcome even before COVID. Okay. So the mortality or deaths from severe ARDS is about 40 to 45%. Okay. COVID or no COVID. Anybody who has ARDS, severe ARDS, that's the kind of percentage mortality. So what's happening is that we have a larger number of patients in the ICU who have severe ARDS because of COVID. Right. The case fatality, I mean, the outcomes of severe COVID is different from severe ARDS. We have been able to achieve that because of two, three reasons. One is we are much more aware of the disease process and the difference it has from the usual severe ARDS because of other viruses. We have learned over this period of time that since the pandemic started and thanks a lot to the international help that we have got in terms of our understanding, having had discussions with the Italians, the Germans, the Chinese, you know, so that has really helped us be prepared for what to face differently from usual ARDS. So that is one aspect of it. And also the second aspect, which actually is different in COVID is you see most of the time when we are in the ICU, the fear that we have is fear for other people that the patient will not make it or you know not do well this is the first time probably that we had a fear for ourselves also right which which is a different kind of stress and the stress of working in an environment which is initially particularly was filled more with anxiety our own anxieties and our fears of our colleagues fears and also working in a ppe you know wearing a ppe and working is not our natural kind of fear uh, doing procedures with those are restricting it right. drains us physically much more. So right. that has added to our kind of psychological stress probably, right. which as I see over a period of time is improving. We are getting more used to it, but physically getting tired probably more because it's been, you know, having to wear those PPEs and working over, you know, day in and day out. And obviously a lot of our staff getting infected. Uh, so the staff shortage, so more, more number of hours to be done in PPE. That's physically draining us. But I think our anxieties and fears among the healthcare workers relatively from the time the pandemic began to now has reduced significantly. We are less fearful. Right. Dr. Ray, could you also tell us about how much the outcomes have improved and what are you doing differently or, or what have you learned to do differently to improve these outcomes? Absolutely. So the use of blood thinners have increased a lot. And this is something which the, you know, uh, unfortunately, initially, they did not know in other countries who faced the onslaught earlier in China and Italy. And they worked, I mean, un worked to a better un understanding of that. And uh, a bit with our discussions, we learned that earlier. So we started these earlier. And if you see the trend of outcomes, uh, and, and there is very good data from the NHS also, and from our own data. So just to give an example, in the beginning of the pandemic in Great Britain, the deaths from those patients who went on to ventilators, right, was almost 67% of COVID patients who went on to ventilators died. But within about eight weeks, the data shows that steadily reduced, the deaths reduced to about 48% within eight weeks. So that's a significant improvement. And by the time 
the severe kind of pandemic hit us, we were better informed. We did things like starting steroids early, uh, blood thinners early. All these factors helped us. And our, I mean, in most of the ICUs that I discuss in India, which have, you know, good critical care departments, you know, uh, larger good critical care departments, the deaths from severe COVID with those who go on to ventilators is no worse than severe, usual severe ARDS, which is about 40%, 40 to 45%. But what has also happened is there are certain hospitals which have got a huge load of COVID patients, which did not have good critical care departments to begin with, right? So when they were overwhelmed, particularly public, I mean, I think public hospitals do a fantastic job, but obviously there are certain places which did not deal with such critically ill patients of this kind, you know, use of ventilators to this extent. And because of that, there the mortality from the COVID ARDS on ventilator was high and that became, you know, very kind of spread out into the public domain so much that there was this huge fear of putting patients on ventilator. What I say is that if a patient needs a ventilator, okay, if you give the ventilator to them, they have at least a 50% chance of surviving if you do a good job, okay? If a patient needs a ventilator and you do not give them the ventilator at the right time, his chances of survival are zero. Okay. So it's also our skill. And that is the important thing that the government needs to do is as the pandemic spreads is escalate the level of training and understanding of the disease process in smaller centers or places which have not dealt with critical care of this kind. The understanding of the disease process and what to do in that situation so that we can save more lives. Dr. Gogia, what is it that people should keep in mind after the treatment? Most of the people are doing well. It is only a small fraction of patients which are having these long-term complications, but we need to be aware about that. That's that's probably the only thing, is that uh, you should not be complacent. Uh, What people are saying, you know, the normal public would think, you know, that quarantine period is two weeks or the disease illness is just two weeks. So, you know, people would say, now, you know, now I'm fine, <laughs> you know, so, so it, or, you know, this concept that, you know, you are sick and you do a COVID test, you know, after 14 days or something, it turns out to be negative. I'm fine. So these are the two things which, you know, people commonly come up every day. I see it's been two weeks or I'm COVID negative. So COVID negative positive does not, I keep telling them every day, this does not make, you have to be fine. <laughs> so you have to be breathing fine. You have to be walking fine. It's not that negative positive. Negative, okay, maybe you can go out of the isolation, but that does not mean that you are fine. The rise of post-COVID complications has indeed become a significant concern. In days to come, we will develop a better understanding of the phenomena and hopefully also develop better strategies to manage the issue. That's it from us today. This is Shrutijit from The Economic Times. This episode was directed by Indulekha Arvind and coordinated by Anjali Benugopal. The Morning Brief appears on Tuesdays, Thursdays and Fridays. You can write to us with feedback on themorningbrief at timesgroup.com. I hope you have a nice day ahead. dot com